Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. If you need a copy of the Bible, please put a hand up. We've got awesome volunteers handing them out right now. It's very important that you have the Bible open in front of you so you know I'm not making it up. If you need sermon notes, also please throw your hand up and we'll make sure that you've got sermon notes so that you can make sure to remember anything that is helpful for you in understanding who Jesus is. While we're doing that, let me remind you briefly of giving. Um, When you put money in that awesome bucket in the back, there are a lot of things the money goes to. One of them are, uh, we have four different families uh, that are missionaries in different parts of the world that we support. Uh, Patrick and Jamie Noctigal are one of those couples. They served in Hong Kong for a long time, and then when we started partnering with them, they were in Europe and overseeing Europe and Middle East missions for the Church of God, and now they've taken a role in northern Italy where they're coming alongside a church that was struggling, and they've we just found out through email this week, they've revamped the leadership team and they're kind of rebuilding from the ground up. So, you know, they're doing really easy work that anybody could do is what I'm trying to tell you. Thank you for that chuckle, Pastor Dennis. I needed that. As one who's tried to plant a church, I can tell you they need our prayers. So um, they're, they're, you know, let's be honest, Italian culture and American culture have lots of differences, but it's still the West. There's still lots of wealth. There's still lots of individualism. There's still lots of don't talk to me about religion. The struggles are going to be similar, uh, if not more extreme, in places like Italy, Switzerland, France. Uh, We think there's secularization going on here. Go to Paris. Go to Stockholm. You know, and then you'll realize real quick, nothing's happening if we don't ask the Lord to move. Nothing's going to happen in our own power. So uh, I want to remind you of them. And if you're newer, I haven't mentioned them in a while, Jamie and Patrick Noctigal, please pray for them. But uh, anyway, the reason I'm mentioning them now during giving time is that uh, we support them as a church. You could always hop on their website and there's a way to give directly. But if you give uh, into the bucket, you are already supporting them and a few other families in different countries around the world, in Belize, in Thailand, uh, and in Israel, in Nazareth, to be specific. So uh, your gospel dollars are flowing. That's what I want you to know. Amen. Can I get an amen, Wayne? Amen. amen. Okay. Praise the Lord. Yep. So continue to give generously. That's, that's my request and encouragement to you. Allow me to recap in case this is your first Sunday, or if you're like me, you don't exactly memorize all the sermons. So since right before Thanksgiving, we've been doing this series called Let Earth Receive Her King, and we've been following the thread of royalty from Isaiah 9, which said almost 800 years before Jesus was born, he's gonna be a king, you know, right? He's not just gonna wash away your sins, he's gonna be the Lord over you. He's gonna be a king, And I've said on repeat for four and a half years that this, I have to keep drilling this into my own head and my own heart because I are American. Anybody here, whether you were born here or not, willing to just admit you're you're like culturally, deeply American. I want to vote if I'm going to follow this person. I didn't vote for you, right? So it is mission critical 
when God approaches us with authority, not simply, I love you enough to die for you, but I have enough authority that when I die for you, it works. We ever thought of that one? That's what I was trying to hammer on the first week. What if God is not powerful enough to defeat Satan on that cross, right? So his strength and his power and his royalty are mission critical, and they make his love powerful. Anybody here, you've got somebody in your life who loves you deeply, but they're not sinless, so they can't go to a cross for you. That's all of us, right? Your family loves you, your friends love you, but they can't go to a cross for you because they're not sinless, they're not morally perfect. They could not achieve what Jesus achieved. This is uh, what we've been doing the last week. Awesome. So week one, we saw that almost 800 years before uh, Jesus came, Jesus was promised really in Genesis 3.15, but really explicitly in Isaiah 9. And then weeks two and three, we saw both the rejection of that king and the receiving of that king that Jesus divides when he makes claims about himself. Uh, and this is still happening in Advent to this day as Jesus is put forward. People are deciding, yes, I will worship him. No, I will not. Today, we're talking about his coronation, being crowned as king in heaven, in the heavenly places, something that is more real than what we have here. Anybody read in Hebrews, there's a heavenly tabernacle that is bigger and more real, and the tabernacle and the temple here were just shadows of that. You and I tend to think that what's here, and I can touch it, is the most real, and the Bible says, nope. If you can touch it, it is fundamentally less real than heaven, because that means it was created, like after the fact. Totally, materialism is just nonsense. So we're gonna find out, see a heavenly view today, which uh, Stephen Nadine already read this, the text in Revelation 5, that he is already sitting on a throne and that's really, really good news for the cosmos because if it was anybody else, he, they would not be worthy to open the scroll and judge the world. And if you don't think judgment is good, just wait, I'm gonna preach on it. If you don't think judgment is good, nothing bad's ever happened to you. There's your precursor. Okay, and then in our... Candlelight services, Wednesday night and Saturday night, cherished as king. We're gonna invite your friends and family that you're going to bring to those services. We're gonna invite them to cherish Christ as their ultimate. How many of you guys know you're not gonna follow Jesus until something inside you switches and you go, he's worth selling all for. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure buried in the field. Something switches in your soul, and when you cherish him, then you follow him. Then behavior follows out of gladness and adoration and gratitude. We do not do good things so that we end up being a Christian who gets to go to heaven. Jesus changes our heart. We love him and we worship him. And from a changed heart, we go, man, I want to please my Father. I want to please my Savior. And obedience flows out of being saved by Jesus. Guys, if you're floating face down in the water, drowned because you rebelled against the ship captain and you swam for it, you did your own thing and you died, you're floating face down, you cannot contribute to your resurrection. You're dead. The Bible does not say we were morally in a tough spot. The Bible says we were morally dead, spiritually dead. So this is what we've been doing. Cherished is what we're gonna be doing later this week. Today is crowned. All right. Revelation 5, this is normally where I'd take it out and talk all the way through, but then we would be dismissing just in time for dinner. So since Stephen Nadine already read the text, and was it powerful or what? 
goodness gracious, the throne of heaven. So I'm excited. Uh, we, we spend way too much time on the parts of Revelation that we don't understand. Going, I'm going to be the guy to figure it all out. Sometimes the things in Revelation are just inherently clear. God's on his throne. Jesus is worthy. Maybe I should start worshiping now instead of trying to figure out all the other details. Maybe, I sh- maybe this text wants me to worship a big and good God. So let's get on with uh, every introvert's favorite part. Go ahead and quickly, I'll give you like seven seconds, introduce yourself to the person behind you because you're about to do a discussion question with them. Tell them your name. You can do it. I believe in you. Tell them your name. You don't have to give them social security number or anything. And now, you have 90 seconds. Do you deserve presents or coal this year, and why? Do you deserve presents this year or coal, and why? Go. All right, guys, let's all be honest. That conversation was longer than it needed to be. This looks like a cold crowd to me. You got that look in your eye. I think it's a cold crowd. Just admit it. Oh, cold all the way. Are you kidding? Yeah, no. To be sure, to be sure. Note takers, grab your pen. When I say note takers, by the way, I'm saying everybody who wants to remember this passed their lunch because I preach these sermons. And if you ask me at two o'clock what I preached, I struggle. Not joking, I struggle. So notes are a good thing. Advent, this time, this five, six weeks where we're anticipating Christmas, celebrating Christmas, centering our heart, centering our mind, it is all based, centered around the worthiness of Jesus Christ. The worthiness of of our Lord Jesus Christ is the center of Christmas. It is the center of Advent. Allow me to turn to the text so I can actually preach it. Revelation 5, take a look at verse 5. But one of the 24 elders said to me, John, the one receiving the vision, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Somebody with a church background, What's the victory? Melissa already told you the answer. Easter. Easter is the victory. 
Because again, I know this is a theoretical because it didn't happen. If Jesus dies a horrible death on Good Friday but is never raised out of the grave, all of the claims about the cross are false. Does that make sense? They have to go together. And they just said, and and in case we don't know what the victory is, it later says, you're worthy because you were slaughtered. Slotso is a Greek word that is literally talking about sheep. He was taken apart. What, what, what happened to Jesus was like, you've got this lamb, but the only objective is dinner. There was no respect paid to, oh, we're worried about your health. No, we're, you're here for total consumption. Jesus was consumed. That's why the night before he gave bread and a cup and he said, this is my body and blood. My church is going to take this sacrifice, and they're going to become alive by it. You do not become spiritually alive by putting juice and cracker into your mouth. Those are symbols of what has already happened spiritually. Okay? If grape juice could make you right with God and send you to heaven, we'd have a lot more grape juice around the world, right? Jesus is worthy for the second advent, because this is about what's going to happen. He's going to open these scrolls and judge the world. He is worthy to do that because of the first advent where he offered us mercy. If you want to know the heart of the God of the Bible, he does not let anyone judge the world who has not first died for the world. Here we are in 2022, and one of the most popular, baby boomers, I don't know if you guys said anything like this, but millennials and down, we love, don't judge me, only God can judge me, And if we actually know the Bible, we're judged not lest you be judged. When the scriptures are clear, you will be judged by someone. He is worthy to be judged. He is morally right. He's morally perfect. And he has loved you perfectly. He has mercifully offered you forgiveness of sins and patiently waited for you to receive it. Going to hell is getting the perfect Christmas gift on your door and everybody told you it was delivered and it was there for you, just open it, and you waited your entire life with the gift on the porch and then died and then got mad at God that you went to hell. He makes it hard to go to hell. Consider how beautiful he is. Consider how merciful he is. Look at the way that he treats women. Look at the way that he treats the poor. Look at the way that he treats the leper. And you find yourself wanting him to be God. We have to scratch and claw and find our way into hell. And yet a ton of us do it because we don't want anybody to be God over us. Just we want to be God We're not worthy to open the scroll and judge the world. Did anybody tell Twitter that? None of us is worthy to judge the world. We'll throw our opinions fast and loose. Something happens in the evening news and we're immediately forming a judgment in our mind and in our heart like we're God. But Christmas says that he is worthy. He's going to judge the world and he's going to do it right and make no mistakes. Can you imagine how horrible you would feel if you sent somebody to hell by accident because you were the judge and you, you made a mistake? How awful would you feel? 
God doesn't make mistakes. Could you imagine if you accidentally let a lawyer into heaven when you weren't supposed to? How bad would you feel? Let's talk about the nice list and the naughty list one more time. What is the naughty list and the nice list? What, what are these measuring? Sin or acts of kindness. Wrong things, right things. Yeah, sin, acts of kindness. What else? It's a great answer. Any more answers? Ooh. Santa's real good. He even knows what you intended to do. <laughs> what is a nice list and a naughty list measuring? Human goodness. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness. Ba -dum -bum -bum. Behaviors. Habits. Is it fair to say that you're on the nice list if you're worthy of it? If behavior is being measured, then you're worthy of the naughty list or you're worthy of the nice list. And our text just said, nobody in heaven, on earth, or under the earth could be found who was worthy. That means the naughty list is a little longer than we thought. <laughs> I've got good news for you guys. Jesus hung on a cross so that his blood would wipe clean the naughty list. For anyone who wants it. Salvation is freely offered, but because I preached that sermon on free will recently, he offers forgiveness of sin to us. He doesn't just wipe away all sin in the world. You and I play God and we think he should wipe away all darkness in one fell swoop. But again, we forget that without free will, there is no love. He freely offers forgiveness of sins to anybody who wants to choose him back. That's how a healthy relationship works, right? If you find a pretty girl and just declare we're getting married tomorrow, we got problems because she has a say in it. And so does the savior of our hearts. He offers himself to us. Secondly, celebrating Advent is anticipating Jesus' defeat of evil. Celebrating Advent is anticipating Jesus' defeat of evil. I'm going to reread verses 1 through 5. Well, no, I'm not. I'm going to tell you that chapter 6 is the real key to this point. Jesus, in this chapter, is found to be worthy and before he even gets a chance to open the scrolls and start judging the world, all of heaven is praising and worshiping him for his worthiness. Is that cool or what? Song breaks out. Somebody's got to erase what's dark in the world. And we didn't think there was going to be anybody who was worthy. And we found one. Somebody can wash away the evening news. Somebody can empty the prisons. Could you imagine a world where there were no locks? We didn't leave our doors unlocked. Well, there are no locks. 
They're not needed. What about a world where no doctors and no nurses have any work to do because there is no pain or suffering or sickness or death? There are no attorneys because nobody's suing anybody. There are no lawmakers, praise the Lord, because the perfect law has been fulfilled in Christ and is sitting on the throne. And Christ is ruling and reigning over the earth and everything's perfect. The more we look at evil, the more we experience evil, the more we are victimized by somebody else's sin or maybe victimized by our own. Ouch, too soon, no? The more we hope somebody will wash it all away. And since his second advent is no longer offering forgiveness, but doling out justice, he's going to kill death. He's going to kill sin. He's going to deal with Satan once and for all. And every Christmas, we look back to what he did, what he has done, taking on flesh. And why did he take on flesh? To live the life you and I could not live, to die the death we should have died to resurrect himself and his church on Easter morning, to commission us by his Holy Spirit, to leave and say, you're gonna go do greater things than you've seen here. And what's the second advent? What's his return? The culmination of the kingdom. Every dark thing wiped away. As Tolkien said, every sad thing made untrue. That sounds good to me we want somebody to do it and there's only one who's worthy and so we don't hesitate when we find the baby to, to pull out gold and frankincense and myrrh we don't hesitate for a second to leave the flocks behind because every dark thing is going to be untrue were there plenty of dark things under the reign of Herod to already anticipate what God was going to do in the world yeah 2,000 years ago, there was plenty, plenty of darkness, and there still is today. What is an oasis besides an incredible 90s band? What is an oasis? Rest. Why is there vegetation here? Oh, you guys' theology is amazing. There is no life without water. So a desert is a lot and a lot of death, right? Death, 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 life. So your dune buggy breaks and you think, man, we're toast. You don't have cell phone reception. And so you do what, the only thing you can do in self-preservation, you start walking, hoping you're headed in the right direction. And at some point you look up and you see this oasis. It's a couple thousand feet away. You are so thirsty. You're so exhausted. You're so beaten down. And it's not a mirage. It's real. There is fresh water. You are gonna be saved. And you still got a couple thousand Steps, you know, feet to go, and it's there, and it's real, but it's not yet. 
and that is the second advent. Jesus' defeat of death is real. It's just not yet. His defeat of pain and sorrow is so real. It's just not yet. And this forces the church to trust our Savior in his timing and his wisdom. Actually, not even our Savior. Jesus says, I don't know the day or the hour. That's the Father's business. We trust our Father that he will wrap up the church age one day. The time of offering peace to rebels like you and me is gonna come to a close. And he's gonna judge the world and every sad thing will be made untrue. Christmas says to those of us who are in pain, those who are suffering, those who are mourning, it will not always be this way. Christmas paradoxically is really, really hard. The first Christmas when you've lost somebody, we say it's harder. This is the first Christmas without mom. This is the first Father's Day without dad. This is the first anniversary where my spouse isn't with me anymore. And it is harder because we've spent all uh, our lives engendering the positive emotions of Christmas, and then all of a sudden, I don't feel happy. Something awful has happened to me. It has robbed my happy. It hasn't robbed my joy, because I'm a Christian. My Savior is still on his throne. But it has crushed my happiness. I don't feel happy this year, and I feel this pressure, because everybody else is smiling, and these songs are just ludicrous. I'm supposed to smile because there's snow? You You've never lived in Michigan, Snow is the bane of our existence for some of us. Like, what? While we are in the midst, and I know, I know some of you guys are, your first Christmas without somebody you deeply love. It is the culture that tells you to put on the fake smile. God never told you to do that. Christmas says, I know it hurts now. How much pain did Jesus just choose into by being born of a virgin? Working class dad, armpit of an empire, non-citizen. You guys know that, right? Jesus was never a citizen of the country he lived his entire life in. You're talking about politics. I'm teaching you the Bible. Non-citizen, ethnic minority, doesn't speak Latin or Greek. He's a nobody. And he was just the king of heaven a moment ago. What did he take on? How much physical suffering, emotional suffering, relational suffering, and the rejection that he faced did he just take on? Jesus himself knew what it was to suffer in the meantime. Because we have hope, we suffer in the meantime. We're sad in the meantime. We see the oasis, it's ahead of us, it's real, it's just not quite yet. when we are resurrected in bodies immortal. It's going to happen. It's gonna be beautiful. We've already seen it with Jesus, his resurrected body, walking through walls and eating fish. I'm not sure about the seafood part. But it, no, I'm serious. Think, think about it. This is not uh, as crazy as it sounds. He made Jupiter. Can he remake you? That's not even hard for him. Christmas says it will not always be this way. And in case you don't know, you need to know that Jesus said this. He was not some cute moral teacher. He made big claims. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. 
but take heart because I have overcome the world. How arrogant is that statement if it's not true? He did not say you will overcome. He did not say you need a little encouragement. He did not say you need some new ideas. He did not say you need the support group, although all those are great. Not you will overcome the world. Not you will overcome your hurts and hangups. I have overcome the world. And what are we supposed to do with it? He already said, take heart. That's the practical application. You can celebrate Christmas every year knowing that the defeat of Satan, sin, and death is as good as done. Go ahead and celebrate. It's as good as done. The suffering that we face right now is a a part of the provident wisdom of God. He is allowing the church age, including sin and death, these things still continue. Why? Because he is being patient with sinners, calling them to be forgiven by him. And we might not like it. We're like, God, we want you to wipe away all the sadness now. And he goes, do you want your friends to go to hell? Guys, this is the conundrum. You and I are finite and God is infinite. We should have people in our lives that we want time for them to consider the claims of Jesus and to respond to his mercy. So there's part of us when we're suffering, we want the end to come. But man, if you've got friends and family who still need Jesus, it's like, not yet, Jesus, not, not yet. Third, Jesus' advent is for any, everyone who wants him. It's for everyone who wants him. Um, I, this isn't in the notes, but write John 3.16 in your margin. This is really important. John 3.16, Jesus' words, he doesn't lie. For God, speaking of the Father, loves who? The world. Does it sound like everybody? Say yes. yes. God loves everybody so much that he sent the Son that everybody would be saved. Is that what the verse says? No, it says, whosoever believes. God loves the whole world enough to offer salvation. Whoever believes is going to inherit eternal life. That is the tragedy of free will. We wish everybody would believe on his name and receive eternal life. But the belief that comes from desire, that comes from a renewed heart, desire is a key piece. Do you want him? Do you want a king over you that's not you. This is why we don't celebrate Advent. We, we screw up Advent year after year because we're still worshiping self. I'm still the king over my life. Therefore, I'm gonna be given over to materialism or empty emotion. My Christmas is gonna be a mile wide and an inch, inch deep every single year where we you know, follow warm fuzzies and Hallmark movies and terrible food, great food that's terrible for you. And that's all that Christmas is ever about? Because I want to be king over myself. Advent is for everyone who wants him. Look at verses nine and 10. I want to emphasize the everyone. Now that I've emphasized the wants him, verses nine and 10. And they sang a new song with these words. And this is exciting. This is a picture of the future. Guys, that means this song doesn't exist yet. Is that cool or what? We were told about it 2,000 years ago, a song that still doesn't exist. Is God big or is God big? 
You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every corner of Sacramento County, but that's it. Did I read it right? Let me try one more time. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God who look like me and think like me. Was that good? Somebody here is a first time guest and you happen to already know the Lord. You're like, I am never coming back to this church. His reading skills are lacking. Every tribe and tongue, every language, every nation, every ethnos is the word. Every people group, okay? Every. That includes Nineveh, by the way. That means at the height of World War II, the Holy Spirit was seeking and saving amidst Nazi armies. Don't look down on people like you're better than them. Don't do it. It means the hound of heaven is moving through prisons, seeking and saving the lost. It means he is seeking and saving people right now that if you knew what they did, you wouldn't want God to save them. Everywhere, both genders, young and old, no matter what language you speak, what nation you're a part of, he is going to receive praise from all over the globe. Why? Because he was slaughtered. So there's a degree to which the cross of Jesus Christ lasts forever. His suffering does not last forever, but his praise echoes and echoes and echoes for all eternity. It's not for a few people. It is for everyone who wants him. Speaking of excellent food, So um, Mary doesn't actually like you very much. I need you to understand. She is offering you Vienna sausages and that's how you know she doesn't like you very much. No, I'm serious. It's Listen, there's Kraft macaroni and cheese right behind her. All she has to do is grab it and, and cook it up real quick. And she's giving you Vienna sausages instead. This is passive aggressive to the lead. This is saying, get out of my store. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what that face is saying right there. You need to leave. What is a sample? It's a very tiny little freebie, right? You don't have to pay for it, do you? It's a teaser. If you like it, you might buy some. And I promise you, Costco knows their numbers. They would not give out the freebies if it didn't produce sales, right? They know what they're doing. Mary's sneaky. Yeah? That's true. A sample, if you take it and put it in your mouth, it helps you answer a question that Costco really wants you to answer. The question, the answer, the question is desire. Do I actually like it? Because Dr. Seuss wrote this incredible book about the way humans actually work. Green eggs and ham. When we're five, it's no to everything that's not chicken nuggy and hot dogs. 
and Cheerios. And at some point, hopefully, maybe kind of sort of, we open up our minds a little bit. Who here is a grown adult and you're willing to admit you'd still rather go into that restaurant and order the same thing you always order? Who's willing to admit that? It's, there's safety in it. I know what I like. Don't, I don't want to risk not liking my meal. And Costco knows they're fighting that. And so there's this sample, there's this taste. Foundation, the way that you love is a sample to the world of Jesus. Did you know that? The love of God is in you. The love of God is not restrained in any way. And the way we treat people, what we ask God to do in their life, maybe that he would step in miraculously, is a sample of the goodness of God. If you taste just a little bit of who Jesus is, I would find out if you want him. How many of you guys know those samples don't have a 100% success rate, do they? Sometimes you taste something and you go, oh, I, I don't care for this right? There really are three options. I like it, I don't like it, or somewhere maybe in between. Eh, it's okay, but not enough to buy it. And when people see Jesus, they say, no, thank you. I want to be the king over me. Or he's a really cool guy. I'm willing to pay lip service, but I'm not going to worship him. Or he's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And we see Jesus when somebody opens, particularly Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and reads it to us, or tells us verbally what they read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or testifies to what God has done in your life. We wish that we could offer a little bit of Jesus to everybody, and there'd be a 100% acceptance rate, but that is not your job or mine, is it? Jesus said, you throw seed and there are four types of soil you have no control over. That's what Jesus said. And Paul said it this way, Apollos, Peter, we just throw seed in water. God brings the growth. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to evangelism, step one is to love the lost half as much as Jesus loves them. Step two is to quit worrying about the stuff that's not our problem. I cannot control whether somebody responds favorably to the good news of Jesus Christ. I can't. What I can do is share, love, serve, pray, 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 pray. That's what I can do. If you're here today and you're exploring faith, I hope that doesn't shock you. We are praying that you would love Jesus for the first time. We want you to know him. You don't find the water in the desert and tell no one. That's crazy. Trivia time, but I promise the answer's on the wall. What is our church's fourth core value? Cheat sheet. Just past the Christmas tree, there's a cheat sheet. It's on the wall and I'm still hearing wrong answers. Wow. <laughs> what high school did you guys go to? Yeah. All right, we're doing homeschool for sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> go tell people about Jesus. Can we admit, I, I'm gonna admit it for myself. You don't have to agree with me. Is, it, is there an uncomfortable awkwardness with actually putting it on the wall? Oh no, maybe we now have to do it. 
It's just gonna sit there staring at us until we tell somebody about Jesus. It's gonna make hypocrites out of us when we don't, right? Oh, I'm preaching now. Oh, don't put it on the wall, pastor, anything but that. It's like the Holy Spirit's gonna keep speaking to me every Sunday morning that I gotta tell my best friend about Jesus. Don't put it on the wall, whatever you do. Too late. So if you already know and love Jesus Christ, here's your next step. There's no blank here, but I'd love for you to write it down. Go tell somebody about Jesus. If you love him already, go tell somebody about Jesus. If you are exploring faith, here's your next step. Since Jesus will be enthroned for all eternity anyway, why not worship him now? The thing is, when we believe that we are better at fun and joy than God is, and trust me, the whole world believes that. Some of us still believe that. When we think we're better at fun, we think of becoming a Christian as I'm gonna surrender my fun. So some people in 20th century American culture have played that dumb game of I'll get religion at the end of my life because they think they're forfeiting their fun. So they're gonna get some, I'll get some fire insurance on my deathbed right before so I don't have to go to hell. Not a ton of people even believe in hell anymore, but that is a lot of the way American Christianity has played out in the last hundred years. But when you see Jesus rightly for who he is, you realize he's the source of true joy. I've said this, Josh McDowell has said this. If I die, and I, it turns out I was entirely wrong, atheists were right, and I just ceased to exist at the end of my existence, I will have lived an incredibly joy-filled life, and I'll have no opportunity to regret the decision I made, will I? If I cease to exist, there's no room for regret. I followed this imaginary fairy tale named Jesus Christ. But because he taught me how to love, my relationships were so robust. Because he taught me forgiveness when I screw it up, I had a pathway toward healing that relationship. If atheists are 100% right, I will have still lived a better life than them. I'd much rather have love and forgiveness than not. I wanna encourage you, if you've never worshiped Jesus, you should start now. There is no greater joy than being fully connected to your savior and your creator. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna do a couple announcement reminders real quick. And I'm gonna tell you a God story. Lord Jesus, do with this text what you will. Create worshipers, God, as we look at Revelation 5. We thank you so much like Melissa read, slain before the foundation of the world. And it was always your plan to die for us and to ransom us. God, walk us out of here fundamentally changed in our passions and in our thoughts and in our behaviors. That because of your love toward us, we would turn around and love others really, really well. Make Foundation a church that seven days a week is giving out samples of our precious Savior as we love and serve. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen.